0: Listening to Bat Books for Beginners, brought to you in association with the Batman Universe.net Shh Listen Welcome to another episode of Bat Books for Beginners. I am your host, John, and joining me today is a lady who is spunky and pugnacious and looks good whilst being both. I'm being joined, of course, by
1: This is Melinda.
0: We are reviewing the final five issues from Batman No Man's Land Volume. 3. This will consist of Batman Legends of the Dark Knight 124, Shadow of Bat 92, No Man's Land Secret Files number 1, and Robin issues 71 and 72. It features writing by Chuck Dixon, Devin Grayson, Alicia Quitney, and it features art by Raphael Kanan, Dale Eaglesham. Michael Zooli, and Staz Johnson. So, last episode, we weren't big fans of the work done by Chuck Dixon on the issues that uh, he wrote, and he writes another three in this one as well. So, it's going to be interesting to see whether he gets better or whether he gets worse. But with that being said, let's dig into the final five issues of Batman No Man's Land Volume Three. We're on to your tricks, Joker. You might as well. they <laughs> 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 now and intertwined and intricately wrapped. These guests fine.
1: <laughs> and no more will they jeer and scoff. I'll cut their circulation off. <laughs> if they do not see the joke, put the ropes and let them choke. <laughs>
0: All his. It's like being caught in a barrel of snakes. Legends of the Dark Knight opens with a man who pays a gangster to be given away out of Gotham. He's taken to what is believed to be the exit to there, but instead of being a way out, he's pushed into a cave and is eaten by cannibals. Batman gets word of this and investigates as matches Malone. He pays quite a heavy price, some money and also a very stylish handgun that he has to be allowed to escape from Gotham. As the previous victim, he is thrown into the pit and discovers that it is full of cannibals. He beats them back and escapes, turning into Batman by jumping down a cliff, and coming back, terrifying the cannibals. He manages to escape the pit, and beats up the gang members, and frees the people. Shadow of the Bat 92 begins with Superman arriving in Gotham. He helps various people until he encounters Piat's gang. Because he's in disguise as Clark Kent, he has to be rescued by Batman because he's unable to show that he's Superman. Superman and Batman talk and Batman tells him that he's doing fine. Superman tells him that he's changed and that he's more than willing to help and that Batman doesn't have to do everything alone, which is what he's discovered in the past couple of months. Batman says that he realises this and that everything is still okay. Superman then leaves, telling him if he needs any help, he knows where he is, and as a parting gift, Superman makes it rain, allowing crops in Gotham to start to grow, so that in the summer they'll have something to eat. No Man's Land Secret Files Number 1 opens with a man called Jason, who hears the voice of Gotham telling him to deliver a message. He tries to talk to Oracle, but she tells him to head to a graveyard. He then comes across a penguin who tries to sell him items. He, however, declines because he has no money and nothing that is worth trading. However, Penguin traps him inside by saying that there is, in fact, a leaving fee. He manages to escape, but goes straight to Poison Ivy. She, in fact, Kills penguins, goons who are chasing him, and Jason manages to escape from Poison Ivy as well. Next up, he meets Two-Face. He explains to Two-Face what he's trying to do, who takes him to the grave of the person he's trying to deliver the message to. Two-Face, however, after taking him to the grave, then has to decide whether Jason will live or die. So he flips his trademark coin and... It comes down with him having to kill Jason. However, Two-Face is stopped by Huntress, who takes him out. Jason thinks that Huntress is Batman, and starts to tell the message to Huntress. After which, Gotham says that he's done a great job, and Jason dies. Robin71 opens with Killer Croc ranting about taking territory. We then move to Alfred and Robin who talk about his home and the fact that he is missing currently from his house and that his dad and girlfriend are worried about him. However, before they're able to complete the conversation, Robin is called away to deal with Killer Croc. However, he is taken out by one of Killer Croc's gang members despite poking up for a fight. And and Croc decides that they're going to attack Penguin and the police's force who have joined together to try and stop Killer Croc. Robin 72 opens with Robin tied to Killer Croc's car and he's used as a human shield. However, Alfred, realising that Robin is in trouble, turns up to rescue him. He throws gas and begins to save Robin, successfully doing so whilst the police try and deal with Killer Croc's gang. Robin ...is freed and takes out Killer Croc. After this, it then moves to Tim phoning his father. His father is very, very angry, naturally, because he's now missing. And in a twist at the end of the tale, he floods the media with images and information about Tim to try and get him back by saying that he's trapped inside No Man's Land and launches a massive publicity campaign to try and get him out of there. I know where you took the boy. He fights like an assassin, like you. Your romance with the Dark Knight wasn't merely rumor. Who is he? Who is Batman?
1: Do what you must. I won't talk.
0: I believe you.
1: Besides, you won't need to look for them. They'll find you
0: first. Works for me. So, let's start with Legends of the Dark Knight 1-2-4. I didn't overtly mind this issue. I didn't think it was terrible, terrible. But I didn't think it was particularly brilliant either. I think it's a very one-and-done story, and I feel like... It doesn't add anything to the mythos of Gotham, but it doesn't really take anything away from it either. I didn't find anything in there particularly brilliant or particularly amazing to really get excited or get angry about, I didn't think. The art was, was okay. Again, it was such a an average issue that there's nothing that I can really be eloquent about and be gushing and be praising. But at the same time, it's not awful. So I, I can't be angry at it either. Is it's, it's a real non-entity in a way. And I think that's kind of a bit of a shame, but at the same time, we've had a few of these things going all the way through where they're kind of creating these filler issues. So at the same time, I can't say I'm that surprised to be honest.
1: No, you're right. This, this definitely reads a lot like a filler issue. Um, And it's very clear that we are coming to the end of this story. That being said, one of the problems I kind of had with this is I still cannot believe that people are so dumb in no man's land. Like, the girlfriend at the very end is trying to hawk some pearls for like a loaf of bread or I, I think a can of soda or something, something to eat. Like, how can you not, how does it not occur to you by the end, by, by what you have just seen happen that you're not going to be able to do that. So I take issue with all of the characters just being really dumb in this. But other than that, Kind of like John, I'm really aggressively indifferent to this storyline. I'm not a huge fan of it, but I, I wouldn't cross the street to avoid it. It doesn't leave it, it doesn't leave anything in the story other than we know Matches Malone is still active. We know that people are trying to dupe other people with a way out of Gotham, but we've known these things all along. It stands to reason that if Bruce Wayne is still around, matches Malone, has the potential to be active at any time. And we've seen in countless other issues, people taking advantage of other people. So if anything, the, the really big flaw of this book was just redundancy and it, like, it did not need to be here. So I don't know if they had other issues storyboarded out and realized, oh, they don't end at the same, like, these plot lines don't end at the same period of time, we need to create some filler, but that's what this one felt like, was just very hastily put together filler.
0: I would completely agree with that. I think the element at the end, I think, is much more of a moral sort of tale, really, and a kind of, you know, this is what happens... To people after they, they fall really. She's, she's with this gang leader and that she's, you know, all about herself and all, all about sort of progressing her power and making sure that she's in with the right people. And now that she's not, although she's got these, this wealth and this power, it's, it's worthless and it doesn't. It shows that there's no, you know, that the really in Gotham, there's no kind of monetary things just have no, no point to them. And I mean, we have there is. I didn't do it in the in the read through because it's it's not a crucial scene with a woman who comes up with a ring that that she says is worth you know twenty thousand pounds. And all she gets is a jar of peanut butter for it. And I think that's what her character was was kind of doing and was there to do. And it's kind of an Aesop's fable in a way, but it was such an indifferent uh, story and a kind of just average story that you don't really end up caring. And you kind of just go... Well, that's, that's a bit of a shame for her. And I think that's, to me that felt like her role, but all the other characters I would agree with you were, you know, just not necessary to tell a story. And it, you're right, it does feel like a, a thrown together tale.
1: I, I will be honest, I did enjoy the art in this one. I like the shadow work. This, to me, I think was probably one of the better-drawn issues I've seen recently. No one is aggressively over-muscled. You know, the way that they display the stacks of cash and jewelry I thought was really really good. Crumbling Gotham in the background when Batman is doing interrogations. Like, I did enjoy the art of this issue a lot more than I enjoyed the writing. So, what were your thoughts on it?
0: It It wasn't terrible it wasn't great either. It's, this is, this is, the thing is, this whole issue's is kind of very average. I didn't, I didn't think there was anything spectacular about the art. And there wasn't anything terrible about the art. It's just, it's such an, this is, it's weird. It's, to me, to me this is such an average issue that I can't, get excited about it or angry about it I just it just kind of exists and I'm not upset that it exists but I'm not excited either I you know it's it's very okay. weird to, it's hard to describe
1: it's called it's, aggressive indifference
0: is it ingressi- ing- aggressive indifference okay yeah I, I'm very aggressively indifferent to it then I, which sounds like a massive oxymoron to me but
1: but your feelings of indifference are so great towards this this issue yeah yeah it's
0: i i don't feel like i can actively describe it in a in a proper way to to, to you guys the listeners on how just meh i feel about it I I can't summon anything about it. It's really weird. Two out of five Batarangs in both art and in writing.
1: John gives it an aggressively indifferent two and a half out of five Batarangs. I go two out of five Batarangs for story, three out of five for art, for an average of two and a half Batarangs out of five.
0: I'm not going to lie, that's that's kind of perfect for this issue. So, moving on from kind of an issue which was something that very indifferent and something that you can't really get upset about, to Shadow of the Bat 92. I have been very critical of Devon Grayson, and I think that she... Has written a lot of dross and just rubbish. However, I thought this was a really well written, very, very good issue. I really enjoyed the writing. I think she got Superman's characterisation and Clark's super characterisation really really well the relationship that Batman and Superman had together in this situation I thought was really well written it it, it summed up their relationship and how both of them are kind of feeling at this moment towards each other really really well I I thought I especially liked the bit where Clark said oh well you know I've tried to dress the part and I've you know I've I've made my clothes dirty I've scuffed my shoes and Batman went well you scuffed the front of your shoes but you haven't scuffed the heels of your shoes you've got dirt on you but there's no sweat or no body oil and you smell of soap and I thought that's 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 a, a brilliant moment because that kind of sums up with our relationship Batman's not been you know isn't being aggressive towards Superman and telling him to get lost and that, you know, he's annoyed that he's there. He's not happy he's there because, as he says, he's got to be five steps ahead of the criminals and he needs to run Gotham and make sure it follows how he wants to do it. He needs to keep it together. And I think, and I do agree with him, that potentially having someone in there like Superman would be an issue for it, it would throw a whole new dynamic on, on the situation that actually wouldn't be beneficial for them and it wouldn't be beneficial for Batman, but he's not automatically saying well I don't appreciate your presence here you know, we are friends to an extent, uh, the, the extent that Batman has friends and I, you know, I really, I really enjoyed it and, and this was a throwaway issue But a throwaway issue that I can get excited about And that I can really enjoy
1: Totally, 100% a throwaway issue It's definitely a one and done But, and I, I will heavily weight that But I feel like this goes so much more towards character development Than something like the last issue did I really did enjoy this issue and I don't like Superman. I'm not a fan of his. I think, I think there's a lot of problems with him as a character, but one thing that I have always maintained is that I really like Clark Kent. I think he's great. And so I really liked about halfway through the story where Batman is saying, you know, I don't need Superman here. That's a variable I can't afford to have. And we saw that last time you visited. And Clark says, I haven't visited. Superman's been here, but I, as Clark Kent, have not been here. So I liked that he also recognizes that there is a bit of a duality in his nature. Plus, it leads to Batman threatening him with kryptonite, and that's that's just never not fun for me. But I think this, more than anything, you know, a lot of times relations are strained between Batman and other heroes in the DC universe because he doesn't trust them. He has a plan to take all of them down, should he need it. And he's Batman is a very solitary person. But Clark says he wasn't coming here to check on Gotham because Batman is taking care of Gotham. He made that abundantly clear last time. He's checking to make sure that, that Bruce is taking care of himself. So I think it's it's probably very easy for Clark to look in and say he's not he's not putting his own needs first because he never would. Batman would never put his own needs before the needs of his city. So it's good to see that he has other people looking out for him. Because I think as much as the Bat family helps look out for him, they're not a match for him. When he decides to give someone the slip or, you know, run off and do something that's best for the city but terrible for him... They are not going to be able to stop him. So I did like this issue in showing that Bruce, for all of his caustic attitude towards other people, has friends and has friends that care enough about him to break into no man's land against his express wishes and make sure he's okay.
0: The art was very good as well. Uh, It was nice to see how they did superman rushing through the city i quite liked that image of just the sort of the blue and red blur going past all these wrecked buildings there was something quite nice about sort of that imagery and and how that that looked on the page i think there was a little bit of over muscling and i think for all the writing which was showing them as, as equals and saying, well, and Batman saying, well, okay, fine, you might be this, but I can do this, and, and a bit of, you know, for want of a better word, banter between the two of them. I felt artistically Batman was drawn as slightly inferior to Superman and I realise that there are Superman fans out there, and I think even some Batman fans would go, well, Superman's bigger, stronger, faster. You know, that makes sense. But I think if you're doing a story where they are equal, it would be nice to see them sort of on the same physical level, and just... Even if, you know, deep down... You know, as Melinda says, Superman could just beat him if he needs to. You know, if he goes mad, nobody can really stop him. But I think if you're doing a story where they're trading off as equals, there needs to be that kind of physical parity artistically, because, it, you know, it's kind of drawing on the story and, and really representing what... The storyteller is trying to say In that In that artwork And I would have liked to have seen that But other than that I don't have any issues I did really like the the end bit Where Bridget leans on the On the fence post And Just sort of looks up A little bit And it starts to rain And you just get a few panels of Of him just kind of looking up at the sky With an expression of Clark what are you just I should be mad at you but it's when your friend does a really good friend does something a bit irritating and you want to be mad at them but you can't really because you're such good friends and I thought that was a really nice nice bit of artistic drawing right at the end there yeah
1: the art for this I will agree there was a a bit of over-muscling, but I don't necessarily disagree with the choice to have Clark be represented a little bit bigger than Batman is. You know, they they so often represent light and dark and morally ambiguous versus morally correct. Like, they so often represent two different sides of a coin that I think the, the size difference between the two of them as limited as it was in this issue does make a little bit of sense because we are always consistently asked to put our faith in the fact that Batman would be able to take down Superman, even though he's bigger, even though he's stronger, even though, even though, even though. And this to me was just a visual representation of, of that is you have Bruce who has been stuck in no man's land for however long. And he's probably not, in hundred percent great shape and you have Clark who you know literally blows into town and he's the peak of human physical perfection, blah, blah, blah. We're still, you know, as readers of this issue, we're probably still sitting there believing, no, that man could still take him down. Even though there is that size difference. So I, I really did like the art in this one the representation of Superman's powers throughout the issue, like you said, the blue and red streak moving through town, swirling in the phone booth to get changed, which I thought was kind of a cute throwback. So I, I really did enjoy
0: this. So with that in mind, I am, for the first time in a long time, and I think the first time ever, I'm going to give Devon Grayson... Four out of five Batarangs for her writing. And I'm going to give the artwork also four out of five Batarangs.
1: Well, I because I really did enjoy the character development so much that happened in this issue between both Clark and Bruce, I'm actually going to go four and a half out of five for writing, but only four out of five on... On the art, for a total of four out of five batterings. So
0: with that, let's move into No Man's Land, Secret Files number one. It took me a couple of reads to decide whether I liked this story or hated this story. And ultimately, on its balance, I came down on the side that... I quite like it I don't think it's brilliant but I think it is better than Legends of the Dark Knight I did quite like the idea that there are people for whom this situation has been so harrowing that they, they have lost something inside them has kind of slipped and they're starting to see things and the way that they're coping is by either acting as if life is going on as normal or starting to hear and see things and i think that certainly those first couple of panels where you see the woman trying to hail a taxi cab that's been crushed and a man on the cell phone talking about his Cola D deals. I I quite liked that, and I thought maybe if it's kind of a, ju- a guy's journey through trying to feel like he's he's trying to create a normal life out of this situation, and in his mind, it's normal and. they could juxtapose with the two panels so what he sees in his head and what he kind of sees in reality and it didn't do that it went through the whole there is Gotham needs to get a message out to its protector its chosen one and I quite liked that idea that maybe some people would go that kind of way and and sort of hear the city talking to them because we Batman fans and certainly on here I definitely for one describe Gotham almost as its own living entity and it is to a very large extent I think that it's its own sort of living ship, its own kind of single creature that that kind of that has its own consciousness and ideas of what it wants to do and where it's going to go and it's very Discworld esque in a way if anybody's ever read the books by Terry Pratchett then they'll know that occasionally the world itself communicates with with the main protagonist in the story and that he went through I wasn't overly pleased with the whole now you've got to deliver a message and having them having jason visit all these different villains and different characters in there i didn't particularly sit comfortably with me on the first read or on the second read and i'm still not overtly happy with it it didn't It felt like there wasn't any kind of real need for it. And the it was kind of stretching the story out and kind of pulling it along and making it a bit longer than it needed to be. But what I did quite like was the twist at the end, where instead of giving the message to Batman, who it suggested you... He's going to be doing all the way through. He, in fact, gives them message his Huntress, and I, I quite liked that twist. I thought that twist was was rather nice actually. And whilst we've not really had any development of Huntress as this protector of Gotham and and working really for it, it. it I quite like this idea that actually maybe Gotham isn't looking out for Batman so much. It's it's actually chosen somebody else that you wouldn't really think of as as doing that. And to me, that's quite a nice little idea. And I feel maybe if there was perhaps a bit more background build-up to it, I would like this issue more than I actually do.
1: So I really only needed to read this the one time to decide I really liked it because it very, very much reminded me of the tone of a lot of the Sandman stories by Neil Gaiman. And I, I thoroughly enjoyed the idea that in order to obtain his objective, leaving Gotham, Jason was being tested. Uh, he was being forced to go through through a journey. Um, and I thought this one had a lot of mythological allusions, more so than just the fact that he's going to see the Oracle at the top of a tower. They've chosen to name this character Jason. I don't know if that was a reference to Jason and the Argonauts, but like I, I really enjoyed all the different ties to different literature that this had, because if you noticed, when he's in the alley... And he's seeing, you know, the woman trying to hail the crushed taxi and the probably insane dude on the cell phone about the cola deal. That's called Kafka Street. So I th- I think that there was definitely a decision was made to, to name that street after Franz Kafka. I did like Jason's journey through the city. You know, he goes to see the Oracle and he, he actually kind of delivers words of comfort to the Oracle as well, with the city saying, you serve me now better this way than you did before. Because I know that we've seen Barbara struggle through this whole series with, I'm in a wheelchair, you are replacing me, what good am I? So I think that that, that little bit in there was nice. You have Jason going through You know, temptation in the form of Penguin, you have him being rescued by Poison Ivy, and you have him being aware of accepting help that comes a little bit too easily with Two-Face. And I, that given all of, all of the mythology that's associated with this, I think it makes sense that it's Huntress that comes because she is very much depending on which interpretation you're reading and, and which version of her you're reading, pretty sure she's a hardcore Catholic who would absolutely believe that, you know, temptation, all, all of the different facets in this story that played out, she would have thoughts and opinions on all of them. Uh, and, I mean, they make biblical references later on, Mammon ruling the temples of the flesh, Rome falling to the barbarians at the gate. All of these are are things that come from mythology and religion. So this to me was a really, really interesting issue to read because of that. So I, I very much enjoyed the writing and I liked and didn't like at the end that turned out Jason had rabies and he had just lost his mind. So, you know, there is there's the argument that what he was seeing was not necessarily what was going on, but because we were seeing it through his lens, that's what we believed we were seeing. So, no, I really did enjoy this, this part of the issue. Art-wise,
0: I didn't enjoy the issue on that part of it. I really enjoyed, I did come round to the story after a couple of reads, but the art, I'm not a big fan of it doesn't feel very comic booky it's the, in between that horrible halfway point of trying to be realistic and trying to be cartoony and it doesn't really satisfy either if you're going to go for realistic go for realistic if you're going to go for cartoon as the style was at the time Then go for as the style is at the time. And I didn't particularly enjoy it. I felt the characters all looked very gaunt and shallow-faced. And yes, whilst they would be, to an extent, undernourished because of the scarcity of food, I felt like there wasn't... There was too much gauntness and... And I particularly disliked the look of Two-Face as well. I just felt that he looked very, very, very line heavy. And he doesn't look so much burnt as just kind of wrinkly. And I felt that was the same of the Penguin as well. There was just too much line shading on the on the characters to kind of make them seem realistic but there was there was too little to an extent to make them that kind of half cartoon uh, that that was the style at the time and i just i didn't particularly enjoy it I mean, there were some nice couple of panels towards the end where he's looking very beaten up, and there's one where he's kind of looking just before he comes across Two Face, and he's looking straight out of the panel, and I think that there was very effective, and it was very very good to look at. But I just for the rest of it, it just didn't work for me. I mean, when you go through and you look at the Penguin, he just looks. He looks very old. He looks 70, 80, rather than the late 50s that he's meant to be at the time in the comics. And I didn't particularly enjoy that. And that didn't grow on me, even though I read the story. I had to read the story a couple of times.
1: Once again, this is something that grabbed me on the the very first go around. So... I'm not normally a fan of line heavy art. I don't like David Mazzucchelli for that exact reason. But this this style of drawing really really took me back to Dave McKean, whose art I really do enjoy and once again worked on the Sandman. And so I think the the style of art combined with a story that I really liked to me I don't know if in a different story this art would have seemed out of context and seemed like it didn't belong. But to me, it, it reminds me of the Sandman of Constantine. This is stuff, this type of art to me belongs with the type of story they're telling. So I thoroughly enjoyed the art. I thought it was really great. And I thought particularly as when Jason is up in the tower talking to the Oracle and the city is telling him, well, no, what's an oracle? An oracle is a fallen warrior. And, you know, and he's picturing what's on the other side of the door. You, you do kind of get a clue at that point that he's you know completely crazy. But I thought that that fits so well, the idea of that's what the oracle is being represented as, as in his brain. Like, I I just thought this story and the art meshed so well together because I've read it in, in different contexts. Like, because I've I've seen this t- style of story and style of art together elsewhere, to me, they belong together, and I think that's probably why I enjoyed it just so much in this one.
0: Okay, so my ratings, I think, from from that are going to be a little bit lower than Melinda's, but I am going to give it, for the writing, I'm going to give it 3 out of 5 Batarangs. Art-wise, 2 out of 5 Batarangs.
1: All right, and it has been a long time. I'm not sure that this has ever happened, but I... Ever happened for me. I loved the writing, and I loved the art, and I'm going to give them both 5 out of 5 batterings. thanks to Rounding, and I'm sure this is going to kill John a little bit on the inside, but that gives this book 4 out of 5 batterings.
0: I think possibly in this last story, I have a feeling our opinions might be the same. I'm going to review these together because they're pretty much inseparable and they just flow one into the other and as an indiv- i don't think it's fair to analyze robin 71 as an individual issue because it's such a a build up to the to the final part i again felt fairly Indifferent towards this Chuck Dixon story, but not so indifferent as to be aggressively indifferent as I was with with Legends of the Dark Knight. I'm not sure that for me Killer Croc is it works in the way that he's done here. I found him very two dimensional in this story. And I know that these this was more how he was being portrayed in the comics at the time, but I really dislike him in the white suit. I think it just makes him look ridiculous. And I know that he was trying to be quite the, the gang leader and the be a bit more like a gentleman than before, but I felt like this wasn't... This wasn't, this isn't true to the character in my opinion. And that's not to say that Croc is brainless or an idiot or can never kind of rise above savagery. It just makes him look a bit ridiculous. It's like when you see the thing from the Fantastic Four dressed up. I have exactly the same reaction, I just go, yeah, I'm not buying this for a second. You look ridiculous. And that's how I felt. I thought that there was some nice development of Robin's character within it, especially talking to to Alfred and to Dick and to Barbara as well about his relationship with his dad, which is something that has if you're reading if you've been reading the Robin comics, It's something that's very prevalent and that he has a very on-off relationship with his father and that he is struggling to try and balance being Robin and being Tim Drake together and, and putting those two on the same level. However, I felt that although that was quite nice and that worked in the story, the... Development at the end, which does drive the end of No Man's Land, which we are now hurtling towards, I felt that it was, it was kind of unnecessary, and it was, to me, a, whilst It does happen and you do get the media stories Where people go missing and things like that It felt like a big Overreaction And Maybe this is me Sort of missing it It felt unnecessary That all of a sudden we get All this media attention And we get all this Interest in this One child That we know where they are and that there's somewhere inside Gotham and it's being cut off. Because there are, as we've seen throughout the stories, there are numerous children who are still within Gotham. And surely must have families outside of Gotham. So... Why are these parents not kicking up with us? Why is it kind of that we only have this with Tim Drake? And I know that he's a central character. But I feel that, you know, if he was spearheading a campaign of saying, hey, look, you know, my my child is still in there or my grandson is still in there. And what would have been quite nice is if he tied it then back to the gangs that we got in... I think it was Robin 68 and 69, where there's that gang of children and they've kind of gone underground and they're living almost a kind of role-playing fantasy. If they've kind of snuck, you know, maybe gone back in or whether their parents are also, or or family members are kind of leading a charge to get them out, and I think that would have been a really great throwback. I kind of would have thought that, and I would have gone... Yeah, you know, I I get this. This is, you know, this is a campaign that's kind of led up to, to one thing. But just having Tim Drake's father do it and all of the sudden attention on him, I felt was was ridiculous. And I just I didn't buy it and I I didn't feel comfortable with that happening. I felt really that the whole killer croc strapping him to the car and Robin taking him out was very throwaway. I don't. Whilst it was nice to see Robin take down one of Batman's major enemies, I didn't feel like it kind of added anything to the story that really was all the time building up towards this great moment where Tim Drake's father says he's in no man's land somewhere and I'm starting a campaign to get him out and it didn't really feel like it was all that important and it was nice that Alfred did come and rescue him and looked after him and that Alfred's kind of being a father figure and that Tim's got more than than one but really we've always kind of known that Alfred and Tim are quite close and that they get on really well and that they both care about each other. And I think that that kind of, again, was really unnecessary to to further the storyline. And ultimately these two issues, I felt, were all about the build-up towards the end, at the end, and the end... I don't feel happy with. And so it kind of ruins these two issues that without the big ending would have just been throwaway issues and, if I'm going to be honest, not very good throwaway issues.
1: John, you covered a lot of territory with that. These, with the exception of what happens in the last few pages, these are very much throwaway issues. You get... A weirdly clothing-obsessed killer croc, which I don't ever remember that being a facet of his personality anywhere else but here. But suddenly he's talking about paisley ties and wool suits, and it was just really, really weird. But I don't feel like the first half of these stories contributed much of anything to anything. But I do have a little bit of a different take on Tim's reveal to his dad that he is in no man's land because as any good spin person will tell you, as any good marketer will tell you, you need to, you need to find a narrative. You need to find a story to tell because people latch onto stories. So the second that Tim's dad has that story of my son went in there on a dare from his friends, he's trapped in no man's land. That's a story. So yeah, the media is going to tell the crap out of that story. They are going to tell it until they cannot tell it anymore. They probably, because based on my own experience, American media loves to, loves to show a tragedy. They really do. And because that's ratings. And with, with No Man's Land, they really haven't gotten a lot of news about it because people are trapped in there, and the stories are trapped in there. So the fact that they have one who can communicate with the outside world, that's a big deal. That's great. They are going to air that 24-7. Additionally, Jack Drake is, is rich. He can afford to keep Tim's face out there. So I do think that the whole idea of the media picking up on that and that just being the big story. I think that is completely believable. Just having seen what, what news coverage is like for other catastrophic events. I think that absolutely that would be a narrative that, that people would latch onto that being said, I don't think those last few pages were enough to justify the existence of all of these issues or of both of these issues. Like I understand Tim has to be put into danger to realize, no, I need to tell my dad something. He needs to know where I am. Like he's, he doesn't know if I'm alive or if I'm dead right now. He doesn't know I'm in no man's land for all he knows. I'm dead in a ditch. So I, I understand we had to have that, that fear put into Tim, but it, I just wish it could have been done a different way. Killer Croc seems legitimately like he's lost it even more so than some of the other villains. Like he actually seems just like he's had a mental break. And uh, I'm not sure how I feel about him as a villain right now when, you know, he's sitting there talking about the fabric quality of his suits. It's just not that intimidating. And I don't think that the art did a great job of, Conveying how physically intimidating Killer Croc would be. There were a few moments where I laughed, but uh, other than that, I didn't. I I didn't care for the majority of this story.
0: I do see your point, and I think the only way that this kind of I would feel okay with the story being the way it is is if this is a comment on. The media and that sort of very oft-used accusation that the media only ever focus on white, middle-class, attractive children. But other than that, I, I still, even if that is the accusation, you know, there are still children trapped in no man's land, and conceivably at least some of these people are going to have wealthy family. Why is it only Jack Drake who's kind of doing something about it? I mean, the, the rest of the families just not caring? I, I, I find that hard to believe. And that's why I have the issue with the ending, as I do. The art was good from Stas Johnson, I I think he's a good artist. I don't really have too much of an issue with it. I didn't think that there was anything really spectacular about it. I think the only real problem is, as I said, that Killer Croc does look ridiculous in that white suit. And it. I think Stas Johnson did the best with what he could, but I don't think even... A good Any good artist Would be able to do anything with that So I can't really hold that against him But there was no kind of Again no real kind of standout Moments for me where I went Yeah that's You know that looks really good And that looks really impressive But again I didn't find anything That I overtly hated Aside from Killer Croc
1: This was middle of the road Art-wise, I mean, it's it's back to that very generic mid-90s style that, I mean, Tim Drake parts his hair in the center. I don't really think I need to say more than that about the time period. I don't particularly care for this style of art because to me it looks a bit plain, I think is the best way I can put it. The mid-90s art has never really done anything for me, so I I infinitely prefer the last issue that we got. But it's not offensive, really, until you look at... Yeah. Killer Croc in a white suit. And a black shirt and a white tie. Just notice that detail for the first time. That is... Killer Croc, you at one point had a mother. You know better than to dress like that.
0: So, overall, for... The writing, I'm going to give this two out of five batarangs. I think the art, that gets three out of five.
1: Okay. No fault to the artist. I recognize this was the times, but I just don't like this art style. So I'm going to give that a two out of five batterings, And I will also give the story two out of five batterings. For a total of two and a half out of five batterings for this.
0: So, with that being said, that brings us to the end of Batman No Man's Land, volume three. Overall, I think this has been rather quite good. I think there have been a few bits of filler and some issues that have kind of left me with my head scratching. But... Overall, I think this has driven the narrative quite nicely. I think we've seen a lot of stuff that actually interests me and really gives a flavour of what's going on in Gotham. And it feels like this is now moving towards its climax and that we're starting to gather pace towards that end. And I personally have, have enjoyed more issues than I think I've had, had problems with. So overall, I would give this volume four out of five Batarangs. And I would definitely recommend that you pick it up and that you, you go out and purchase it. Melinda, what do you think?
1: By and large, this, I think, has been enjoyable. I mean, obviously, there's always going to be issues that you, take issue with but um no i this was a this is overall a really great story arc and so i think knowing that always makes you a little bit more tolerant of what you're what you're maybe forced to endure reading in the middle but i think that for you know every for every legends of the dark night 24 124 you get you get a shadow of the bat 92 which was really great so I think it's a it's really good balance between really great and not so great. So I definitely would say four out of five batterings is an accurate rating.
0: Okay, so next episode we move into Batman No Man's Land Volume 4, final volume of No Man's Land story series. And we will be covering Batman Chronicles 18, Batman 572, Detective Comics, 739, and Batman Legends of the Dark Knight, 125. So do make sure you're picking up those issues. As we said before, all the issues that we review are available on comic digital downloads, such as Comicology, and you can also buy them on eBay. And you can still purchase the collections on Amazon as well. So do go out and buy the volumes and go through them. Let us know what you think. As I said before, you can leave a comment underneath the podcast on the main website. And we're always pleased to hear your opinion. But with that being said, that's everything for this episode. So I've been your host, John, and you've been listening to... Uh,
1: dude, I have been your co-host... Melinda
0: And you've been listening to Bat Books for Beginners Thanks very much for listening And we will see you guys next
1: time We'll see you next month